College basketball ended much too soon because of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic, but the business of college basketball hasn't stopped. It's player transfer season, and our part of the country has had its share. On Sportsbeat KC, we talk with beat writers Kellis Robinette, Taylor Eldridge, and Suichi Tirada to get the latest on the departures at Kansas State, Wichita State, and Missouri. The Shockers have been especially bitten hard by the transfer bug, with six players leaving. It's Thursday, March 26th. I'm Blair Kirkhoff, and let's get started with Kellis Robinette on the Wildcats. Kellis, how you doing today? I'm doing good, as good as I can do in quarantine. How about you? I'm doing all right. Your quarantine's a little different. You've got kids, and uh, so you're you have turned into a the, the Robinette household is now P.S. Uh, Robinette. Uh, <laughs> You're 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 homeschooling the kids. How's that going? Uh, it's uh, a little on the stressful side, but uh, you know what? I got <laughs> some I got some good kids, um, and I got some help from my old friend, uh, the TV, and fortunately as well, my my wife has been working from home this week too. So it's it's been a lot easier with uh, with two teachers instead of just one. So we're yeah. we're hanging in there, but I mean everybody's dealing with it. So I'm not going to come out and complain or anything. I think there's a if if there wasn't before a a an appreciation probably a much greater appreciation for teachers uh, these days. Oh yeah, they they actually had a uh, teacher parade drive through our town yesterday, where all the teachers drove through and waved at the kids at their houses, and we were all oh. the parents all, all the parents were joking. We need to you know uh, hijack some of these some of these rides and make them start <laughs> teaching again. We're That's desperate. Right. Getting desperate, Blair. <laughs> uh, all right, soldier on. We'll all have to soldier <laughs> on. Hey, um, not unusual uh, to see players leave programs, uh, and it's happened to Kansas State in basketball. You had a, a story uh, earlier this week that they had lost a, a pair of players uh, that were intending to transfer, Nigel Shad and James Love. We'll talk about them in a second, but – the more interesting one to me was was Cartier Jada's decision to not to leave the program. I don't think many people expected him to be back next year, even though he has a year of eligibility. It's just the way he characterized his departure, um, putting himself in the transfer portal. What what do you make of the decision uh, that uh, that Cartier Jada made? Yeah, that part of it did surprise me. Um, you know, the part of him, like you mentioned not coming back to Kansas State, that wasn't a surprise. I can go back as far as I, I had insiders telling me all the way back in October not to expect him back next season because they thought it was that sure he was going to turn pro. So I, um, all year when we talked to Bruce Weber about like his recruiting uh, outlook, he always mentioned that he was still going to keep looking for more guys. And, you know, you could read between the lines and understand that nobody expected Cartier back as a senior. But it 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 is a little bit surprising that he left the option open to uh, transfer if things don't work out going pro. Um, maybe he's cre- opening that door because of all the coronavirus stuff right now. Maybe the usual um, process of auditioning for the draft won't be quite as seamless as usual. Maybe he won't get to impress people. So maybe he's doubting that area a little bit. So he wants to have something to fall back on. I personally still think he'll end up turning pro and, uh, take his chances playing overseas or maybe in the G League next season. But I also, as a grad transfer, you can't rule out the possibility that he would go play somewhere else next year. Um, I've already had some people suggest that he might look at Virginia Tech, where former Kansas State assistant 
Chester Frazier is now coaching. He's got a tie there. He's from South Carolina. He could maybe look to play somewhere closer back there. So, yeah, not entirely unsurprising that he's gone, but um, definitely surprising that he's at least entertaining the option of playing somewhere else in college next year. How should we remember him as a K-State player? It certainly didn't end well uh, with for nobody, really, it, for Kansas State this season with the uh, last place finish. And uh, uh, But he had some pretty nice moments in his Wildcats career. How should we remember Cartier Jada? Well, I mean, that's open to your own interpretation, and that's a question that's been kicked around here quite a bit um, since the season ended, really. But for me, I, I think I'll remember him more as uh, just a, a great role player a great energy bench guy who um, filled his purpose almost perfectly on two of the better Kansas state teams we've seen in a long time. Because if you remember um, when he was a, a sophomore and they made it to um, the elite eight and Dean Wade got hurt, they plugged Cartier Jada in the lineup. And he was a big reason why they won a bunch of those NCAA tournament games and they, they had a memorable run and then two seasons ago when they won the Big 12, um, he was, I mean, before he got hurt late in the year, he was arguably one of their best players. Could have said he was maybe the best sixth man in the league at that time. Um, he had the windmill dunk against Kansas, which was the iconic moment, the signature moment of, of that season. So, I mean, there are a, a heck of a lot of great memories there on some of the best Kansas State teams we've seen in a while. Um but I, I think this year did muddy it a little bit. I don't know that you can just completely overlook how, how much of a train wreck things were with him and Bruce Weber and the whole team this year. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I would probably lean more toward on the good, but if somebody is going to lean on the negative, I'm not going to say that that's, that's silly either. Yeah, I'll tell you, I remember his, his uh, 2018 season, and as you mentioned, that that postseason run where – uh, he was getting a lot of playing time, and and that backcourt of uh, of Brown, Stokes, and Jada, uh, they, they were a handful. Uh, they that was a group that uh, that that rolled to three NCAA tournament victories, and uh, and uh, I, I think you know that team should be finally remembered. And he's part of a Big Twelve championship team as well uh, in in twenty um, you know in last season twenty nineteen. So yeah, and, you, and I would also point out there were. Um, times during the season where, where I went around and just asked some other players across the league, like who's the, who's the hardest person you've had to guard just thinking they would say something like, you know, you Azabuki or um, Tyrus Halliburton. And I actually surprisingly heard two or three people say Cartier Jada. Um, he, he was pretty well respected across the league. There were things he did just the way he handled the ball and attacked the basket that a lot of other players couldn't do. So he, he did have a lot of talent. Like you said, when, Man, when they turned to that backcourt with uh, him, Barry, and Cam, and nobody saw it coming, um, yeah, it's tough to tough to beat. They beat Creighton, UMBC, and Kentucky back to back to back. Yep. Okay, a couple other players who left, as we mentioned earlier, uh, James Love and Nigel Shad. I, I think the 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 common thread here is size. They were two big men, right? Uh, Shad six nine, and Love right. was six eleven. But you know, just not much playing time, and the the. These moves were not unexpected. No, I mean, really, the only surprising thing with them was that they even came back and played this year. They were the the main, you know, transfer guys that everybody thought were going to leave last season. So um, I think they, they came back mostly just because Kansas State couldn't find anybody better last year. And then, 
you know, this season they played something like a combined eight minutes. So you can totally understand where they're coming from. They've been in the program, you know, a combined seven or eight years, and neither one of them has started a game. Neither one of them has really played much of any time at all other than late in blowouts. So um, probably best for both sides that they they look to play elsewhere. Okay. Hey, Kellis, before we uh, break it up, let's let's talk about a little piece of news, a couple of little pieces of news that, that occurred this week. Um, one, the, the, the Catbackers tour, the, the state tour of coaches, uh, athletic officials has been canceled. Uh, that's always a big thing for, for Kansas state. They get out in all parts of the state. They come East, you know, to, to Johnson County, Wyandotte County, um, this part. And then they, they, they have a big presence in Sedgwick County and in Wichita and in, in probably even more significant is how how well they're connected in the central and western parts of the state, and just not going to happen this year. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's another cool event that's sadly had to be canceled because of all the stuff that's going around. But it it really is a unique event. Um, I know most schools try to do something during the summer where they reach out to fans, but I think Kansas State really does it uh, better than a whole lot of schools because um, just across the whole state, um, if you're a town that has even 30,000 people in it, there's a pretty good bet that these guys are taking a bus filled with some combination of coaches and student athletes coming out, willing to play golf with fans, willing to talk to them in their hometowns. Um, and it, it, it's a pretty neat thing. If you've never been to it, um, you're a Kansas state fan, listen to this, you know, next summer in 2021, I definitely recommend signing up for it. It's a cool, cool deal to go out and, and hear from coaches and players uh, away from the arena and you know Kansas State is a athletic department that relies on people driving into Manhattan from all across the state to uh, fill their stands for games so it's kind of neat to see them return the favor and go out to all these small towns and do the do the exact opposite and we also learned this week that Kansas State and Nebraska are going to renew hostilities on the hardwood <laughs> uh, going to play what was it a three-year series uh, that the Huskers and, and Wildcats signed up for Yep, three years. Going to start in Kansas City next December. I believe the date is December 19th. It's going to be the final Saturday before Christmas. Um, and that'll be three straight years that Kansas State has played at Sprint Center with a regular season game. And it'll be four in 2021 when they uh, play in the CBE Hall of Fame Classic. So they got a nice little string of games going there. And then uh, they'll play in Lincoln. Um in two seasons and then they'll play back in Bramlage in three seasons. So it actually, you know, um, I don't know that anybody was really clamoring for Kansas state, Nebraska to play basketball again, but they're actually, you know, they're both uh, coming off similar seasons. Fred Hoiberg is there in Nebraska and uh, Bruce Weber has actually been dying. And I mean, dying to play another big 10 team. He just every year can't seem to quite uh, make it happen. So even though a lot of people still view Nebraska as a big 12 team, he checks that, you know, gets that checked off. And uh, yeah, for the first time in a long time, we get to see Kansas State play a Big Ten team in the non-conference. Now, if we could just get those schools together on the gridiron, I think a lot of people would love to see that too. That That would would be be very cool. All right, Kellis, thanks for... Yes, do it. Do the do the same thing. One at Arrowhead, uh, one in Lincoln, one in Manhattan. I would go for that. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Kellis, thanks for spending some time with us. And when we come back, you're going to hear from Kellis's compadre at the Wichita Eagle, Taylor Eldridge, talk about a school with some transfers.
Taylor Eldridge from the Wichita Eagle joins us. Taylor covers the Shockers. And I got to tell you, Taylor, I'm following Wichita State season, just you know, watching the games on television. And I, I remember thinking, what a great start this team is off to. They climbed climbed up in the polls, had a great record, and um, and they, you know, then they hit a rough patch, but it still looked like they were going to end up in the NCAA tournament. And from my vantage point, all seemed well. Then the season ends abruptly because of the coronavirus, and we come to find out not all was well with this team. Is it is it six transfers we're up to now? Yeah, six scholarship players have left the program since the end of the season, and you know you're right. You don't see that you know that amount of transfers is pretty rare, and then to to have it come from a 23 win team, like you said, that was on the brink of an NCAA tournament even more rare and especially with three of those guys playing at least 24 minutes. So yeah, pretty unusual situation uh, to say the least. Yeah. So um, a a couple of them, I just noticed I was looking at DSPN's website the other day and they've listed uh, a couple of the the transfers, Eric Stevenson and uh, Jamarius Burton as two of the top five transfers available now in, in college basketball. So the Shockers lost, like as you said, not only you know guys who 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 were getting playing time, but but good players, double double digit average guys, and um, uh, just solid contributors. What so what did what did Greg Marshall have to say about all this? Yeah, I mean he he had um, I mean his take was that it was kind of a perfect storm of events where you know this really kind of dates back to two years ago when they had six seniors in the same class, and then Landry Shamit declares for the NBA, and then Austin Reeves is a surprise transfer, and then they had another uh, player that was academically ineligible, and all of a sudden, you know, you have to replace 9 of 13 scholarships, and the way that they did that was, you know, in hindsight, I think Greg Marshall would do it a little differently because he brought in a lot of freshmen, he didn't break up the class like he said he probably should have. You know, like I said, in hindsight, maybe should have taken a few more JUCO transfers, maybe a graduate transfer or two. Uh, but instead, they took a lot of freshmen, and and uh, what ended up happening was just the the team was just so young, and they just didn't have very many upperclassmen. And you look at the makeup of this last season. You know, ten of thirteen scholarship guys are freshmen or sophomore, so only one senior. And I think it was just uh, a lot of different things where, you know, players, you know, with that many young players, a lot of them were young guards and they're all, you know, very talented, played the same position. And I think that just was not a good mix for, you know, uh, Greg Marshall has admitted, you know, he told me after the season that he just didn't do a good job of managing uh, the personalities, managing the players. You know, he tried to make all of them happy, and in the end, you know, a lot of them ended up not being happy. And I think that's what you saw at the end of the season when, you know, four transfers, you know, the very first day, and then it got up to six uh, scholarship players who have left. So, um, yeah, I think it's a situation where it's kind of opened his eyes, and he told me to himself that, you know, he's got to learn and adapt from this. And, you know, he took ownership of, of all the things that happened because, you know, obviously these are his recruits. These are the guys that he picked to come to Wichita State. So at the end of the day, you know, even if things didn't work out, you know, it still falls on his feet. So, uh, yeah, this is a, a learning situation. And I think, 
uh, from going forward, I don't think you're going to see him take, you know, four, five, six freshmen in the same class again. Right. Now you you cover this team every day and travel with them. Did did you notice some um, you know something amiss when when they started losing? Was there some body language or uh, were, were were players expressing any sort of sort of dis- disappointment? Obviously, the losing was was building, but I was just wondering if you had a sense of this in you know into February. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I actually put together a story that had all the quotes from looking back at this past season and all of the quotes from Marshall and some of the players after some of the losses. And it just, uh, it showed, I mean, if you were paying attention to this uh, team and reading the quotes after these losses, you know, some of this isn't a surprise because, you know, Greg Marshall made it very, very public that this team was going through problems and the way that he framed it was a lot of ego problems, a lot of me first problems. Um, You know, after the fact, some of the players disputed that, but, um, you know, during the season, yeah, it was pretty obvious, especially, uh, you know, after they had lost uh, the second straight, you mentioned the 15 and one start, they go all the way up to number 16 in the country. They had a big week and they ended up losing both of those games the week they were ranked the 16th and, uh, the last loss, you know, Marshall kind of hinted that, um, that the egos and personalities were starting to get in the way of, you know, what, what could have been a really good season, and then, you know, they you look at it, they lose five of the the next seven games, the last one being the worst loss of the Greg Marshall era, 33 points at Houston. And after that one, yeah, it was very evident that something was wrong with this team. And they had kind of a, a come-to-Jesus meeting the very next day, and they thought they got all that stuff out. But, you know, obviously that was just kind of a Band-Aid, I think. Uh, what it ended up being was just a, a Band-Aid. Uh, you know, they closed out the regular season winning six of eight, so they had, you know, some some kind of positive momentum going into the conference tournament. But, you know, in hindsight now, it's pretty clear that was just a Band-Aid. Uh, who knows if, you know, a run in the American tournament, you get into the NCAA tournament, you win a game or two. Who knows? Like maybe uh, maybe some of those those feelings get changed uh, from the, the good goodwill of the, the run. But, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. And now the new reality is, you know, six guys are gone. And that all of a sudden, uh, this coaching staff finds itself casting a little bit wider recruiting net than maybe it was intending to do. Uh, so what's what's next for the Shockers? Uh, there, there are a lot of you know a lot of availability on this roster now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some fans have kind of gone overboard on you know this is the end. You know they're going to be a huge rebuilding mode now. Yes, I mean it's it's very discouraging to lose you know six players. Uh, obviously the depth is going to be hurt, but, you know, really you look at the core of this team, you know, you have Tyson Etienne at shooting guard, Dexter Dennis at small forward, Trey Wade back at power forward. Those three guys are, are you know, AAC caliber players and they have, uh, you know, two upperclassmen at post. They have a redshirt freshman and Joseph at Bilal, who Greg Marshall is very, very high on. He thinks he's going to be an instant impact kind of guy in the post. So really, you know, you add a graduate transfer and they are, you know, very, very high right now. And Altree Gilbert, the former uh, UConn point guard, you know, you add someone like that or, or a Juco guy or just an instant impact grad transfer at point guard. All of a sudden, you know, you, you start to have a, a, a core that you can work with where you can believe that, you know, an NCAA tournament is possible next year. And, you know, obviously they're going to have to fill out the roster and there's still challenges uh, to adding the depth, but 
you know, maybe you need to add another, you know, a center that's a grad transfer or a JUCO guy, high impact. But, uh, you know, there is still a possibility where WSU is still, you know, 22 plus wins right in the conversation for the NCAA tournament next season. But it's going to take a very, very good recruiting class from Greg Marshall and his staff this spring. So that's and it's going to be a lot tougher now with, you know, obviously no no official visits. You can't get guys on campus and uh, that's going to throw, you know, a little uh, I mean, that's going to make it a lot tougher, especially when you have six scholarships to hand out. Right, right. Well, you're right. It is a high standard that Greg Marshall has set at, at Wichita State. Taylor Eldridge covers the Shockers for the Wichita Eagle. Thanks for spending some time with us, Taylor. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Suichi Tirada covers the Missouri Tigers for the Kansas City Star and was at the SEC tournament in Nashville along with the Tigers, who did not get to play in the tournament. Um, Their tournament was lost, just like all the other tournaments, including the NCAA, to the coronavirus. And Missouri, in previous years, would have gotten a game in because they would have been in the bottom four seeds, and, <laughs> and uh, but not, not this time. Yeah, for better or for worse, they kind of backed away. I guess they won their way into that number 10 seed in the SEC tournament on the final day of the season. And for better or for worse, you know, maybe it might have been better because they would have squeezed the game in that Wednesday, but obviously this tournament got canceled. Um, and a very weird vibe just with the media and the games on that Wednesday just because nobody knew what was going to happen. And then the NBA Rudy Gobert news comes out and all of a sudden we're shut down. So it was a very uh, up and down few few hours there. And, you know, the, in the few hours I spent in Nashville. And they were, they were going to play Texas A&M, as I recall. Yes, Texas A&M on that 6 p.m. on that Thursday. Still have it down. A team that they had been swept by during the regular season, but I I thought there was a pretty good vibe about Mizzou going into that game. Yeah, and the analytics favored Mizzou just because Texas A&M had a poor non-conference. But yeah, they got swept, but I think that with Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith coming back, they looked like a team that was – kind of trying to find their groove a little bit, and who knows, maybe a run in the SEC tournament was a possibility. They were looking that way and maybe had a favorable draw to do so, but we'll never know. We'll never know what will have happened, whether <laughs> no, it's no. MU, KU, around the nation, whatever it is. No, just have to look on some projections that I've seen online, uh, what, what might have happened in some of these games. So, um, But as Missouri as every other college program in the country uh, is doing. Uh, they, they got an early look ahead to next season, and there's a lot to like about what's coming up for the Tigers, assuming everyone stays. 
but that's uh, not everyone has stayed. The the Tigers did lose a transfer. Uh, Trey Jackson is in the transfer transfer. Why do I I can't say it right? Right transfer <laughs> portal, um, and I, I'm always a little disappointed when a highly regarded freshman comes in doesn't perform up to expectations and decides to leave. I mean, I think it's, it's probably a pretty common story. Uh, guy comes in with a lot of hype. He was a four-star recruit and uh, didn't play much. I think he appeared in 26 games, averaged a couple of points a game. And it's just not going to – it just he didn't, felt, he didn't feel like it was going to work for him in Columbia. Uh, what can you tell us about the Trey Jackson transfer? Yeah, Trey Jackson, right, the Detroit native, right where I'm from. We had this conversation where – we found out we grew up near each other, even though he's a little younger than me. So fun little fun fact there. Um, and I think I was both surprised and not surprised with Trey, just because I was surprised when Kazo kind of went out of his way a few times to praise Trey and kind of the process, right, for young players and what what it looks like going forward and how they project and not necessarily have that immediate gratification in, in your freshman year. And then at the same time, I was not surprised, though, because – you look at who Mizzou brings back as a team, pretty much the entire roster besides maybe a, maybe a Reed Nico NCAA rules pending. But the way the roster shaped up, I mean, there, there just really wasn't that much playing time to go around. So I think that absolutely contributed to why he left. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, it is a little disappointing for Mizzou fans just because he was supposed to be this highly touted recruit, this four-star prospect from, you know, Michigan and he, he was part of the long-term plan, you know. I mean, yeah, you bring back a lot of people next year, but the year after that, you graduate a few players, a few marquee players, and maybe he would have found a role there. So I, I just think that he showed a lot of good things, but there there were too many holes in this game as a freshman, which happens as an 18-, 19-year-old, you know, kid playing against some older men. But, yeah, overall, the outlook doesn't look too great if you're Mizzou, just losing a guy like that, a four-star guy who fans were – rightfully excited about yeah it turned out that uh kobe brown was the freshman that uh that that emerged and made progress and that that did surprise me a little bit so um what was it about what what did you see covering this team this year where 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 didn't it happen for for trey jackson yeah and so the thing about trey i feel like is you absolutely saw the athleticism he brought and and really, when you talk about this Mizzou basketball team, that really wasn't there besides maybe him, Xavier Pinson, and Jeremiah Tillman, and maybe you know a few other guys. But uh, and and that's the thing with Trey is just that he had you know all the tools to look good and look successful and look like a contributor. But I think there were just a few too many times where defensive lapses or a silly mistake. Um, Though the, really, the sticking point for me was. The first Mississippi State game where Mizzou played against, and Trey played one minute. He had two bad fouls, and he sat the rest of the game. And I and I keep pointing back to that moment where I just thought, man, I mean, you. It looked like he might have started to break out a little bit, started to find a, a spot in the rotation, and he just wasn't able to do that, and just didn't look comfortable at times on the floor. Um, so I think he, the the bad. You had to take with the good, but there were too many times where, especially with the Conzo Martin team, right, the defense just wasn't there consistently enough, and then the offense was a little too sloppy for Mizzou to really roll with him and kind of rely on him, even though it was a lost season. 
Yeah, what you just described is a vote of no confidence uh, mm-hmm. in that in, in in that Mississippi State game. So, uh, look, I I think he's a Division One player. He'll land at a Division One program. I don't know if it'll be in you know at, at a Power Five. It may be. It, it could be. I mean, he had he certainly uh, had at others, you know, but big college suitors when he was recruited. So we'll we'll see where where Trey Jackson ends up. And I was wrong. I mean, this, he's not the he isn't the only player, only freshman. Uh, to transfer, M- Mario McKinney also left yeah. the program in January, but he's he's taking a different route. He he's already enrolled, I think, in a junior college. Is that right? Yes, JUCO in Illinois. Um, so he's he's I, I believe I read um, or I believe the plan for him is to go that route and eventually transfer out after a couple of years or a year, uh, just for him to get that college ball experience. Just because there really was no spot for him in the rotation at Mizzou. I mean, uh, this you know. I don't think the media. I believe the media never got him. Um, there was a few media v- availability before I took this job. So, um, and talking to others, like we we never spoke to Mario McKinney Jr. So we weren't really sure what he was about, and maybe what you know necessarily didn't work for him at Mizzou. Right. Okay. Well, how about a uh, just give it a quick the quick synopsis on what this team's going to look like next season. I know it's early. A lot of decisions could be made. Heck, we don't even know when college sports is going to resume in our coronavirus world. But uh, what, what's the what, what's the early outlook on Mizzou next season? Yeah, so Kanza Martin obviously now has two guaranteed scholarship spots without Trey and Mario there. And then you're looking at a Reed Nico who is graduating has run out of eligibility, but we'll see just because the NCAA might grant eligibility relief. I doubt it for the winter sports like basketball. It's going to happen for the spring sports, I think, like baseball and softball, but it's a harder sell for basketball. So I think those three guys from the start of last season, you're losing, but then pretty much everyone has the opportunity to come back. I think Jeremiah Tillman is likely going to go through the NBA process, whatever that might be. I think that's another thing you have to kind of consider, like, I don't think the NBA knows what to do for evaluation. And if there right. isn't an evaluation period, is Jeremiah coming back? Like, Or is Jeremiah even going going to go through the process? So you kind of have to consider that. Um, I can see maybe an Xavier Pinson with a strong finish he had going through the process, but I think he ultimately comes back. So realistically, you bring back everybody who matters, you know, uh, or at least could. Jeremiah Tillman, Xavier Pinson, Drew Smith, Mark Smith, you know, Javon Pickett. Though all those guys are going to be key cornerstones for next next year, and I think, and the the thing is, Blair, I keep, I keep mentioning this in my stories. It's just that you could see that yes, Mizzou had a lot of returning players, a lot of sophomores and juniors, but they weren't really experienced like a veteran team. And I think you really need that in college basketball, where your best year is your senior year, like Reed Nico had, and so all these games where you saw Mizzou very play very well against you know the LSUs of the world play very well but then falter down the stretch which happens so many times this year especially on the road to me that's the science of a young team and then if you add another year and then you have guys who are seniors I I, I think you're starting to look a little bit more optimistic especially with that border war game coming up in, in December so I think they do all of these little there are these little things that point up and I think next year is really the year where Mizzou has to do well just because of who they bring back, what talent they bring back, and it is Consul Martin's fourth year, and I think it's kind of make it or break it a little bit um, in terms of just the long term outlook for this program. 
Yeah, if they can win one game next season, one <laughs> game, it'll it'll be that one. I can't wait for KUMU uh, at, uh, at Sprint Center. Okay, Suichi, thanks for spending some time with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Yep, talk to you again soon. That'll do it for today. Thanks to the production team of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett, and a tip of the cap to Kellis Robinette, Taylor Eldridge, and Suichi Tirado. Remember, coverage of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic on KansasCity.com is not behind a paywall. It's that important for you to have easy access to the most comprehensive coverage of this health crisis. Thanks for listening to Sports KC, the Kansas City Stars sports podcast.